Welcome to the Growth Gap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we speak with Aircall co-founder and CEO, Olivier Payas. After a career in strategy consulting with BCG and corporate development with multinational company ArcelorMittal, Olivier embarked on an entrepreneurial journey. He co-founded Aircall, which was built to make phone systems as easy to manage as any other business workflow. He wanted to make it accessible, transparent, and collaborative. The company was founded in 2014, has raised over $100 million, and has offices in New York, Paris, Madrid, Berlin, and Sydney. At the time of the company's founding, phone technology was not in vogue with investors. However, the requisite tech infrastructure had just been developed to make improving phone systems a reality, and Olivier jumped at the opportunity. We hope you enjoy the show. Olivier, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. Maybe what we could do to kick off for the benefit of our audience is hear a little bit about your background until uh, Aircall. All right, all right. So... Born and raised in, uh, in France, mostly, did the business school there. Started my career as a consultant, uh, strategy consultant for a company called BCG in, uh, in Belgium, focusing on, on, on telecoms and energy. And then I wanted to run a business. So I went to work for a steel company called ArcelorMittal, and uh, I ran a business in, in Spain there. So steel factory is very different. So I did consulting for seven years running factories for seven years, and then air cold for seven years, essentially. What I thought was really interesting is that you had a very nice run in consulting and then corporate. And I, I thought it, it, it's daunting for some people to make the jump into founding their own company. Obviously, there was something very compelling for you to, to make that leap. Can you tell us a little bit about that time when you were kind of working, I think you were in a marketing function for a company, and, and how did the idea of air call kind of come about and, and what was the catalyst for you saying, okay, I'm going to go ahead and try this? Okay. Well, let's, let's say my personal driver is uh, essentially curiosity. So I wanted to see if I could run factories. I did that. And then after after seven years in the steel business, I felt, okay, either I stay for the next 20 more years, right? Or I move and I jump into tech. That's probably not, no business is as far from tech than Steel making, essentially, right? But I was very curious to see, to discover that business and see if I could create my company. So that was really this stride and see, see what are the results. And then the idea how I got started. So at some point, it just in my mind, it, it became clear I wanted to create my company. When you want to start a company, the, the most important thing you have to do is talk to people and discuss with people. So I started talking with a bunch of people, all the entrepreneurs I could find and know I knew before, former friends who became entrepreneur. And one of them, I knew at BCG in uh, 1999, I'd become an entrepreneur. I created a company called eFounders. And it's actually kind of a startup studio, they call it, right? So they, they kind of incubate, co-create companies. And that's how we started We started thinking about, okay, we've got this phone systems and they you know, they're really not cool. I mean, there must be something better to build there. When you look at the time, we're looking at Ring Central and said, okay, VIP is nice, but there must be something better. And that's how we started thinking about the concept of, of Oracle. Mm-hmm. You know, typically what happens is you start searching for, okay, who else is out there trying to revolutionize how phones work and how phone systems operate. So presumably you did that research and you 
probably found some other solutions out there. What made you say like, okay, well, we we see what they're doing, but we're going to do it better or we have a twist on it? Well, believe it or not, 2013, in 2013 when I started looking at that, there wasn't anything compelling. Mm-hmm. Really, you had maybe dial pad. Let's say the, the main idea of Apple was thinking, okay, there was a lot of things we were seeing on other channels like email or, or chat, right? We could see collaboration, we could see easy access to data workflows, and we felt this does not exist for phone calls, like for live communication, right? And nobody was doing that. There was another company that was actually built around similar concept, but it was in stealth mode, it was not launched yet. And we found out a few years later that, oh, they have, they have similar ideas to, to what we we're trying to build. But at the time, there, was, um, there weren't any compelling solution, really. And maybe as well, because we were in France, the, the market is maybe, maybe not as advanced as, as the U.S. is. And maybe we had a bias and we felt, okay, there's something huge. Nobody's there. And actually, as we built a company, then we found we moved to the U.S. at some point. And we felt, okay, there's some really good competition, actually. Mm-hmm. But it was then at the time, it was just on the road, right? So. Yeah, there was, I think, pretty much at the feeling of, you know, creating a, a new concept. And I think we were, as well, we started Aircall. I mean, you couldn't build Aircall two, three years before we started. It was just not possible. You you didn't have, we, we built on a technology called WebRTC. We built on, on infrastructures like Twilio. I don't you probably know Twilio, Plevo. We didn't start on them, but it was the same concept. And those technologies were pretty new at the time. And so, and actually very, very new. So you couldn't build something like Aircall really a few years before. A few companies started about the same time as us, but then they were not launched. So we really felt, okay, there's, there's a big space to take here. Mm-hmm. And uh, in those early days, what do you think was the most challenging aspect to getting kind of the company off the ground? Was it the technology? Was it the team? Was it, you know, fundraising? <laughs> what, what do you think were kind of the first <laughs> few years? You know, and then we'll overlay that with you know this context of you were first in un- unlike others i mean there's different segments of entrepreneurs right those that kind of out of the gates out of school start building their companies you had the benefit of some experience behind you so maybe that you know maybe that helped but yeah would love to hear about those early days okay so to your, to your first question is what was the hardest i mean if i could pick everything you said Everything was the hardest. There was so we were built on a technology WebRTC that wasn't mature, so it wasn't working very well. It was this is technology that powers like uh, Google Hangouts and now many other communication, live communication, right? It's really what you're doing now, right, through the browser. But at the time, it was really not well advanced to use it as a phone system to connect to mobile phone to real cell networks. So that was really tough. It was really really tough. Because, because we had to deep dive in a new technology, talk to Google, et cetera. As a result of that, getting customers was pretty tough. It was surely not the toughest, right? Because you always have early adopters. And as long as you try and keep on trying, you, you get them. And then fundraising was, a, was extremely difficult, like extremely difficult. And I, we did what? Over the past years, we did four or five fundraisers. They were, all the time, it was extremely hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of it, because we're, you know, it's really an unsexy business. You know, even in 2014, when we started, right, you, you had to do AI or whatever, or food delivery, something. You do phone. Are you serious? And then actually, what got me always very excited is in the worst, most unsexiest business, that's where you had the biggest opportunities. Read really this Stripe example at the time. 
payments. Who wants to do payments? Nothing is more boring than payment. Well, then you can be on Stripe. And phone is them. Who wants to do phone? Phone calls? Are you serious? And then it can be something really disruptive, really creative. And, and then the market is typically huge. So it was a bunch of things, but I would say, I would say technology was really, really hard and, and fundraising. And then I think what was really made a difference, what made a difference for us was, uh, I mean, in our, in our DNA as, as co-founders was there's a lot of resilience, I think, or stubbornness to never give up. And as, this was as well, typically more difficult for me. You know, you mentioned, you know, is it good or bad to have experience? I had, I had experience, which was probably, for me, was probably more a negative than a positive. Because I had been used to be an executive, to have a company car, to have everything paid at the end of the month. I had three kids as well, so you have to think about this. And so when you get started, you're like, ooh, that adds some stress. And starting a sales business is very long. It really takes 18 months to start to see the light, some lights. Not even, I'm not saying get paid, but at least think there's something valid, right? So, but what mattered a lot at the beginning was the team. And I think as part of, part of this uh, e-founders ecosystem, we could meet a lot of people. And then we found, I found my three co-founders. And so two developers and one sales. And then we, we blended together very well. And then we decided to go to San Francisco for four months. We lived in the same house. So I, I, left the, you know, I left the family, I left my friends, went to San Francisco four months. And we knew that if we can survive four months together in the same house, we'll be bonded forever. And so for me, creating the right team is the most important thing. It was the most important thing. And if I were to do that again, I would really... Even lose some time to make sure I have the right partners and we can go the distance mm-hmm. uh, together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you mentioned about fundraising, it's 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 interesting because if one is to look from outside the system, they just see the news of one company after the other raising money, and then you see the aggregate numbers of just how much capital is out there funding companies, but yet each individual company really struggles to raise that money. And, and uh, what's interesting in your case was the phone, right? Like when, when you think about the phone, I mean, so one thing I like to ask VCs or whoever you were raising money from, did you start to think like, oh, all of them are interested in something else, like in some other trend and it's going to be really difficult to break through? Did you ever come to that point where you were like, I don't know if we're going to be able to raise this? Yeah, almost at each fundraise, we need we need a seed round that we need an A, B, and C. So we need four fundraise, right? And every time I felt we're not just we're not good enough, we might end up not getting an investor. Every time we got a few offers, but not that many, if I'm honest. Although I'm claiming the opposite when I took to VCs and stuff, but not not that many. Sometimes only one term sheet, sometimes two, three term sheets. The last round was March last year, so middle of COVID. So. It was even, you, we got term sheets and then we got people withdrawing term sheets. <laughs> so that was even more stressful. And I think I, I've, I've always struggled to understand why. I think that, that maybe the, the business is, is a big factor. It's a huge space, but many VCs don't understand it. And, and actually, we raised with VCs who got conviction about the team mm-hmm. or had experience in the business. So they experienced, you know, they knew Ring Central, they knew Delta, and so they felt they, they knew... The space was big, it was a bit ugly, but it was something interesting to build here, mm-hmm. right? Even if there's noise. And many VCs just, um, other VCs just passed. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so it was every almost every round, maybe not the last two, but every early round, I had made a list of 100 VCs and then there would be 98 would pass. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely tough mm-hmm. that 98 people tell you no. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Imagine you're trying to date someone and you have to get 98 no's to finally date someone. It's hard, right? And then finally we had like one, two, three, and then we went from there. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm very familiar with it for a good number of years. I was, that was my role in the investment bank was to help private companies. And so I know all about those, you know, the, how the long lists and, and the many passes, but switching gears a little bit. So in a nutshell, for those kind of listening out there, how would you explain what's the benefit of air call versus dial pad or, or, you know, Vonage or, you know, ring central or any other solution out there? What's, what, what do you think is like the kind of key highlights? If I make it very, very simple, you, you'll get the perfect mix of two things with Echo. You'll get a lot of productivity, but at the same time, you'll get a lot of simplicity, right? As a, that's why we win deals. That's why people come to us. And productivity means integrations. So our vision is that Aircall lives inside the software it's using, inside your CRM. So Salesforce, HubSpot, Zendesk, Slack, Aircall is there. And because it's there, then it connects to your workflows connects to your teams. It surfaces the data when you need it, right? You're going to call me. I want to see what you purchased, who you talked to before, you know, anything I know about you, I have in my data. And I want to edit that during my call on Apple and push it back to my data and share it to the team if I want. So this is what we do in a unique fashion because we've built our product not as a phone system, like like Dial Pad or Ring Central, but as an API first product, as an extension of CRMs and help desk and any tool. Right. So it's a very different philosophy. So you get a lot of productivity here. Behind this, workflows, integrations, a lot of data, of course, so live monitoring, etc. But at the same time, it's extremely simple to, to use. Right. Yeah. If you want this productivity, you can go to Genesis, you can go to you know, Togdesk, but you don't get the simplicity. We have a product that gets that, that you start using in one minute, that you, you start getting value in a few hours. You can deploy it over a team of 200 people, 500 people. In, in hours, extremely simple, and you're going to self-maintain. Mm-hmm. So you know exactly what you're paying for. It's very simple, and, and you won't need to you know, even talk to us or hire some consultants or some developers. Everything's out of the box, every integration. And I think typically you want to integrate Salesforce very deeply with all your workflows. You'll do that in a few clicks. So this is really something we've we worked a lot. So this perfect mix is really why why we're in deals. And so our customers would be sales teams, support teams, sometimes the entire company, just people wanting a very simple solution to talk to their customers or their partners or their candidates even, to the outside world, right? We don't typically, people don't use us for internal calls. You would, you would use Zoom or some kind of Slack or this kind of thing or Microsoft Teams. But whenever you want to talk to the outside world, that's where AirCall is very, very useful, either to sell something or to serve them or to hire them because we surface all the data. And we let you record the conversation, push it back to your data, share it with your team. So that's really the, you know why customers choose us. Fascinating. And so um, <laughs> you mentioned the, the sales use case, and and uh, so I imagine if if you know I'm a sales professional and I've got hundred prospects I'm working through, I would for, for all my emails whenever I needed to set up a call, I would have a link, an air call link, and then the person on the other side would easily kind of integrate, you know, kind of hop on a call you know, at the scheduled time. And then, you know, I guess information from that call gets filtered back. Yes. And filter back to, to Salesforce. I mean, if you're in a, if you're in a, in a sales team, the way you would use is typically you'll say, okay, I'll start my day with doing a call, call, call campaign with some prospects. So you'll go on your Salesforce, for instance, whatever CRM you're using or HubSpot. And say, okay, this is my target. Get started. A call will come with your power dialer. will automatically launch the calls and say, okay, boom, I'm calling Joe. Here's all the information you need to know about Joe as you start the call. 
right? And you're going to get a list of fields. So I need to ask him whatever, if he's a decision maker, when he's going to make a decision, whatever. Echo will tell you the weather, where Joe is as well. So you can have an icebreaker, simple things, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, because we've built, we built as an open API, a lot of small, nice integration that can enrich the conversation. And then all that content that you've created during this conversation, whether it's voice content or any data you touch, you, you added comments or tags, etc., it's going to be pushed back to Salesforce. So your boss, the manager, can just recap at the end of the day and say, okay, fine. So you did 20 calls, great. They were successful, not successful, etc. So really, that's the way the product is built, right? And all that an echo would live inside your, your CRM. Mm-hmm. And your client, your customer base, is it primarily, you know, larger companies with big, you know, call center sales teams? Or do you have some that are in the kind of smaller, medium sized segments? No, yeah, no, we mostly SMBs, mostly okay. SMBs, right? We would have companies like, like Walmart, okay, but that's an outlier. And it's not the entire Walmart, <laughs> don't get me wrong. And it's just, it's a name everybody knows, but this is not exactly what we what we do. We're glad to have them, but we have like close to 10,000 customers and they're, Anything from e-commerce companies, some service companies, mm-hmm. like really HVAC or plumbing companies, or that would be uh, staffing companies or recruit, recruitment agencies, with a variety of companies, so about, about almost 10,000. Really, it works. We really like that space because this simplicity, productivity really appeals to them. Right? Typically, some larger companies will say, okay, I'm ready to spend one or two months or three months to roll out something. We see many, many larger companies that are still rolling out Ring Central for months and months and months, and they have consultants helping and da da. You know, we're not like that. You get started today, boom, you're ready, you know, within minutes. And so that's very appealing to smaller companies. Mm-hmm. And so you must be ramping nicely now. You know, we know, we talked about the fundraisers. I think you've raised over a hundred million since inception, which is which is incredible. So tell us a little bit about the the ramp in whatever context you'd, you'd like to. But how how's the business kind of tracked over the last you know several years? Yes, yeah, so we try to remain you know as as much of a high growth company as, as we can. Essentially, we bring about eighty percent a year. I would say now when we started the company, it was more like of course like three x. You know, if you I don't know if you know the. You triple, triple, and then double three times. So we did that kind of. Next milestone for us is to pass about 100 million in, in AR, in revenues. And then from there, we built really leading player in the space. Let's say our vision is to just think, okay, you have Ring Central, It's a billion dollar AR company. We like this company. They're cool, but essentially what they have is a commodity. It's a VIP. And it's fine. If you just need to talk to people, fine. But if you want productivity, if you want a premium product, if you want to achieve more with your conversation and pay a bit more, then we want to build Aircall, propose Aircall. And we want, to, we want the customers to have the choice, depending on what they need, between like the commodity or the premium product. Right? So our objective is really to be, become as, built, as big or bigger than, than Central, but we're, we're at the beginning still, right? So we're getting close to the $100 million mark. Oh, fantastic. And, and so I guess you, you view this as a fairly big market, you know, where, where that kind of top-line revenue could could grow, you know, dramatically even beyond the, the 100 million mark. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. The market is absolutely, absolutely huge. COVID has accelerated the digitalization of companies. Many, many new types of companies come to us, new verticals, more traditional companies. Honestly, we have almost 10,000 customers and it's, most of them are early adopters. We still have tens and tens of thousands of customers to get that are more traditional SMBs that are now rethinking and thinking, okay, I need to be future-proof. I need my stack, my communication stack to be better than just the VOAP, PBX, right? Mm-hmm. And now they come to us. And, and so that's one. And then, and then we have many more ideas. So we're, first, we're going, we're going to 
mean market, up market to larger accounts, larger customers. And we're improving the product so that we can manage 300, 500, 1,000 seats very easily. And then we're going to release next year new products, right? So calls are great. Now, we released text last year, and now we're going into video. But again, not video like, like what we're doing now. Video, productivity-oriented video. Something that lives in your CRM, where you do a demo to your to your customer, right? And then we're going to go to the voice intelligence, which is really interesting, which is getting that. Let's get inside the conversation. So typically understand the keywords of a conversation and relate that to success rates or satisfaction of customers, depending on what, what people actually talk about during the conversation. Mm-hmm. A lot of privacy uh, privacy aspects to manage in, the, in this field. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm eyeing the clock here, and we're coming up on time. Oh. I usually like yeah. to ask a couple last questions. One I ask about is typically about your most challenging time that you faced during your career, but I think I'm going to skip that one because we've already talked about how difficult fundraising was. Instead, recently heard an interesting conversation with this guy, Mark Lohr, who you know founded diapers.com, sold it to Amazon, then founded jet.com, and then sold it to Walmart. And he's like, I think, 49 or 50 right now. And what was interesting was that he said, I'm more driven today than I've ever been in my career. And so one thing I'd like to to ask you is in the context of your career, because you've done very well both in corporate and, and kind of this entrepreneurial route, how has it been? Like, do you do you prefer this route? Uh, do you ever think about like, oh, I could have stayed at BCG and I'd be, you know, a senior partner there now? You know, I think it's somewhat interesting to, to hear yeah. your view on that. No, I have absolutely no regrets. Absolutely no regret. And the route now is, I think, is, is the most exciting. But again, probably what I did earlier was the most exciting at the time. I really love my time at BCG, for instance, but I was more in learning mode. I was just out of business school and I learned a ton. And I was surrounded by super smart people. That was great. What I love now is the constant discovery. Like my job being CEO of a 100-people company, then 200, then 400, and now going to 800. The job changes completely. And I have the chance now to surround myself with incredibly smart people, board members, investors, advisors, and the, the learning experience is, is absolutely incredible. So that that's for me the key thing. It's about learning. It's curiosity and it's about learning, trying new things. Mm-hmm. Honestly, after a call, if that stops at some point, I don't, I'm not sure I would, uh, I would create a new company. I mean, I, I know my, my fundamental project is to be teaching. I really like and love teaching. Mm. And this Aircall is a way for me to teach as well to, to our employees, try to take them, you know, grow them, make them thrive and thrive together. I would probably not restart a company, I think. I would probably, uh, if that ever happens, probably move totally to something entirely new. Maybe teaching, you know, young like teenagers or adults, whatever, or doing something very, very different. So it's always the learning that matters. Right. Okay, last question. Is there someone, you know, as, as you kind of make decisions and tough decisions as you, you typically have to do as you're building a company and growing, you know, quickly, is there someone you think about that is like kind of a role model for you or, or someone that kind of you've, you've admired in the, in the business world where you've said that that person, you know, is a great leader, has some, you know, exceptional leadership capabilities and you kind of call upon them or kind of their image, their profile as you make decisions. Is, is there someone like that, you know, that you can... Yeah, what I'm extremely lucky is our first investor, Balderton. One of the board members I have, Bernard Liotto, is the, the managing director of, of this firm, UK fund, and is absolutely, uh, is a relentless source of inspiration. I mean, by his ambition, is the, the sharpness of his perspectives, 
his level of ethics, it's absolutely incredible. And kind of his personal like, camaraderie that we've built over time. That's so nice and so demanding. So, and I'm lucky to have him on the board and to talk to him like every week almost or every two weeks. And he built business objects before. So he built it, put it, you know, quoted it, put it public, then sold it to SAP, was on the board of SAP. He's still on the board of SAP. So he's, he's really for me a mentor. And he, you know, if I can, if I can do something, you know, as good as what he's done, or potentially even better, that, that would be a high source of satisfaction. <laughs> well, excellent. Olivier, this has been a wonderful conversation. Again, I appreciate you uh, taking the time, and I know our audience will find this very insightful. So thank you. Thanks to you. Thanks to you.